This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? Welcome back. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 9.35 Friday, the 20th of January. And yes, you are listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. So I'm going to start the show talking about this very, very, very cold place. I'm sure also very, very, very expensive, which is in Switzerland because the world's billionaires, many political leaders and wannabes have congregated on this little place called Davos. Political wannabes. Wow, that's interesting. Well, you know, this is where the great and Just good... general wannabes, actually. Yeah, well, like Boris Johnson, for example. Um, has been. That's has, not wannabe, that's has, has been. been. Well, the great and good purportedly great and good, or great or good, or neither, actually were convening there, I think, I guess, to talk shop, to plan a bit for the year here, anticipate what the issues are. So, so I think it's also a great networking session. So I understand that from the Malaysian side, our trade and industries minister, Tengku Zafro was there. I think even the Kazana uh, CEO was also there. I also saw the Saim Dabi uh, CEO there. I think ah. there were booths set up by Petrona, Saim Dabi, probably right. the, our largest corporates were all, all descended. Um, yeah. I think it's it's apparently when I was listening to this podcast, it's like a crazy week, you know, where there are many sessions ongoing. Uh, you've got a lot of journalists, political leaders trying to follow different, hmm. like almost like it's a one huge but on a small place convention. Yeah, I think many people are really questioning the relevance of a forum like Davos. They're describing it as a glitzy exercise, which is really out of touch. It's supposed to be a forum where politicians, uh, country leaders, billionaires, they gather to discuss uh, forging ties that can help solve global problems. But I think the world, as we can see now, is getting a bit more divided. Countries are playing by different but rules. Uh, we have the CHIP Act. We have uh, we have seen more com- companies strategic stockpiling as well. And then the companies are a bit more wary of uh, promoting free trade as well. But Jensen, that's so Debbie Downer. Davos is the retreat of retreats. It's you where just go we there all, to enjoy yourself. It's right? We all go there to talk shop and think about and solving all the hardest problems that the world is facing. What? That's why we do management retreats, don't we, Jensen? Didn't we learn that you need to figure out what the why and the who about a retreat you before you even PowerPoint begin? Slides. And not just horrible PowerPoint, PowerPoint well, slides. Well, I don't mind the cheese fondue there, honestly, if I was invited for one. Okay, and but, the hot chocolate, right? Uh, by the way, the temperature is a minus four degrees. Okay, maybe I'll pass. Yeah, That's so a tropical divorce, I heard. Okay, but the point is, actually this time, the um, this World Economic Forum is... Uh, it's happening at, at a strange period of time in our history, right? Because we are facing hyperinflation. We're also facing increasingly high interest rates. And the question is, mm. what are central banks doing to combat it? And the threat of recession is clearly looming. So a lot of the conversations about there were about these topics and also the question of fragmentation because the world is clearly getting more and more polarised. So I think, for example, one interesting conversation that people paid attention to was the one that uh, Chinese Vice Premier Liu He made. And he's, of course, uh, President Xi Jinping's economic czar, and he tried to repair China's reputation. So he basically came up, went up there to say that opening up to the world is a must. 
uh, and that they are going to open up wider to make it work better. We oppose unilateralism and protectionism and look forward to strengthening international cooperation. But guess what? He's not going to be around for long because he's going to be replaced. I think this is where I find for this specific Davos, there was a lot of expectation that there would be a lot of pessimism. But the, the groundswell was that, um, that, that things are relatively optimistic, although you say that there are so many issues. One thing that struck me is that, you know, in past previous economic forums, there was always a very core, clear, dominating theme, be it climate change or deglobalization. I didn't see something that clear come out from this specific economic forum. And really, the whole conversation seems to be about whether or not we get into this hard or soft lending or whether we will get into a recession or not this year. Yeah. Uh, the One person did make an appearance and that was Greta Thunberg. She returned to Davos on Thursday and she did so by blasting the United Arab Emirates. Now, this is a fun fact which a lot of people would not have noticed and that they have been appointed uh, to chair the COP28 climate talks next year. So, uh, United, the head for its state-owned oil company is going to do so. So this Isn't is, that a bit of an irony? So that's is, her point, right? It is the irony, I think, that she's very frustrated with because I think if the sector if the sector that needed to decarbonize the most, that would be the oil and gas sector. And the concern, of course, is the conflict of interest that, you know, one of the largest oil and gas players is actually leading uh, the key effort to actually reduce carbon emissions. I think that's where the tension is and where it lies. Yeah. Okay, staying on uh, Davos, but a little bit of an off-tangent is Microsoft. We're going to talk about that. They actually hosted an event there, intimate gathering of 50 or more, so people including the top executives, uh, they listened to a performance by a musical artist, who, by the way, is coming to Malaysia in March. Yeah, I'm selling you my tickets, right? <laughs> Thank you, Philip. See, selling or giving? Well, mm. we'll find out how generous you truly are. But anyway, talking about Microsoft, the concert ended on a sour note because shortly after that, they issued a little memo saying that they're going to lay off 10,000 people. That's about 5% of their workforce. Uh, and they, you know, they came, they explained in the blog why they needed to do so. Uh, but I guess it's the timing of it which wasn't the best. Yeah, and I guess the timing is because they're considering a $10 billion investment in this company called ChatGBT. And I was listening to this podcast by The Journal. It was quite interesting how it, it mm. really started, this ChatGBT. And they exploded on the scene with very little marketing. I think the day that they launched, within five days, they hit something like 1 million users. And you can't really get on their side. I think you always you will definitely get rejected. But what was interesting is that it was founded as a non-profit and the mission was AI should benefit all of society. And that was in the early days because apparently AI people are quite idealistic. But I think when Sam Altman took over, I think he focused a bit more on profitability because he said that without the funding, AI couldn't really reach its full potential. You say it's ironic, but I do see the connective tissue here because one of the most powerful things about ChatGPT is that it strike, takes AI and it generates a lot of you know output that perhaps humans could have should have done but actually you don't need to so it could be potentially a huge job killer yeah so that's one of the biggest things right yeah. about chat gpt will it replace us will it replace us you don't need to hire me anymore save so much money you don't need to i didn't know you cost that much but never mind <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty cheap to be honest you can actually replace your group comms people in writing press releases you may not need creative agencies to come up with all these visuals that come through you so it is truly for many people a valid concern that it's a job 
job killer. So whether you say it's ironic that Microsoft laid off 10,000, maybe they are going to use chat GPT to replace all those codes and programmers because one of the big things that I think uh, came out, I think from Tesla or Nest, Nest Tesla, I think, was that 90% of the code was actually AI-generated. Oh, no. That's a very scary future that we're looking forward to. But I think we're looking to, but I think for sure, AI is here to stay, right? Yeah. The question is, how do we harness it for humanity's good and not replace us in terms of our jobs? Yeah. Uh, talking about jobs, who has quit? Jacinda Ardern, she announced in a shocker that she's stepping down mm. uh, ahead of the general elections later this year at one at 42 that's her age. Uh, she became the world's youngest female leader when she led the party, Labour Party, to power in 2017. But she says she just doesn't have the energy or inspiration to seek re-election. So we reference ChatGPT. One of the things that ChatGPT cannot replace is your emotional intelligence, your ability to generate empathy. And that is what that is what she is very much known for, especially after the Christchurch mosque attacks. Also how she handled the pandemic with great firm discipline, but with empathy as well. That's a skill that I think she'll be fondly remembered for. It, it takes a lot of guts, I think, that, you know, she, she became prime minister at the age of 37, six years into the job. I do empathize with her that she probably felt that she was just burnt out and too tired to continue on. Yeah, I think it's also quite difficult to be a leader, especially in times of a slowing economy, higher cost of living, falling property prices, higher crimes, and also more job losses. So I guess citizens will hold you to a higher accord and the alternative government suddenly looks a bit more appealing. What do you think about people? I mean, we always joke about, okay, you know, some people realise it's time to leave uh, and then they decide to leave. And there's some people who still refuse to leave the jobs even though they should be leaving the jobs. And then they come back again. And then they come back again. To um, only be kicked out and then still want to come back again. <laughs> yes, I think you're referring to a specific person here. It seems from the tone of your voice, shouting. I think what is interesting though is that is this a function of duty and responsibility versus your ability to contribute to the job. That's always the tension that takes place, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, I do want to highlight some things, one of which is that her ratings is the lowest ever, right? So an opinion survey in December found that 38% of voters support the Conservative National Party and 33% support her party. She does remain the preferred Prime Minister with 28% backing her compared to 23% with Mr. Luxon, who leads the uh, opposition. But she says that this lowest rating, which is the uh, which she has seen since assuming the role more than five years ago, is not the reason for her departure. I think she has said that she wants to spend more time with her partner and yeah. with her child. And um, I think she gave birth to a child when she was in office. Uh, she, I think as in her speech yesterday, she plans to marry her boyfriend, I believe. Partner. Partner, sorry, wrong, wrong terminology there. And perhaps that's one of the key shifts of life that people take, you know? Well, sometimes you have to put yourself first, right? If you are not in the right state of mind, how can you then lead the country? And I think I applaud her decision saying enough is enough. Sometimes the problem with all of us is we never know when to put up our hands and say, you know, it's time to move on. The question is, has she led, has she got a succession plan in place? Mm. Is, is her party ready? Have they found somebody else to take over the job? Uh, we're heading into some messages. We'll come back and take a look at the political recaps, at least in Malaysia, uh, of this week. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 
Thanks for staying tuned. It's 9.48 Friday, the 20th of January. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. You're also listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. At this time of the day, we're going to be looking at all the stories that you might have missed on the Malaysian front. And yesterday, the word of the day was Madani. When I go for my reunion dinners and when my aunties ask me whether I'm married, I'm going to just say I'm focused on Madani. And what does Madani then mean? I think because it's a Malay acronym for sustainability, care and compassion, respect, innovation, prosperity and trust. But exactly. your aunties are just going to open their eyes wide, you know, and just look at you blankly. I said Madani, Madani, Madani. Don't have to Google it, Phil. <laughs> I get a Google it and then come back and let's talk about this later. Okay, because it is uh, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim's administration, it will be guided by Malaysia Bandadi concept, which is going to replace Ismail Sabri's Yaakob's Kluaga Malaysia tagline. And we know every Prime Minister has his own tagline. So this is Dr. Sri Anwar's. I, I think for me, the question is, should every Prime Minister have its catchphrase or tagline, something that identifies the administration? That's been the case, to be honest, with every administration He's, so far. This is nothing new to... It's nothing new for new, Malaysia. It's also nothing new to Dr. Sri Anwar because he did come up with the concept of Madani as early as in the 1970s when he mm. was still studying at University of Malaya. Now, the more important thing is whether he translates it into actions. And just take uh, to note the sequence. There was a retreat done uh, over the last weekend. So perhaps the retreat, the KPIs, the targets you set should also reflect the principles that he espouses through Madani then. Yeah, I think it may turn out to be quite a refreshing new concept. So what really struck me were key words of accountability and transparency prior to prioritizing the people's needs, especially those of the poor, protect the people from racism, effective enforcement. But of course, the proof is in the pudding and implementation and enforcement will always be key. Yeah, so our Prime Minister has said the priority is to create uh, a stable political system based on democracy, eradicating poverty and destitution, and distributing the econ economy equitably. And I think what's interesting is our Prime Minister acknowledges that all of these aspects are interrelated and can only be successful if all are addressed at the same time. So yeah, we know this needs to be done. But one thing that has been our problem in Malaysia is political will to push through this concept. These are common good. Mm. Everybody wants it in society. But do we have a plan in place? Is Are all the actors in place? Are the actors that we have appointed the right ones in the first place? A bit like that corporate retreat, right? The who and the why. Yeah, I think this is where it, 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 it can fall prey into people converting it into some sloganeering. And then what happens is that when ministers attend meetings, they have to you know incorporate these slogans into their welcome addresses. Classic example is Salam Satu Malaysia. We ask to, you know, when you ever hear a minister, it's always embedded into the announcements. But what does it mean, what right? Does it mean. So I worry that we end up using and spending more time on the sloganeering, the explanation, the invitations, the media campaign, when the actual substance or the intention behind it isn't actually worked on. Yeah. So this Madani concept has to be really put into the KPIs that the government is going to announce, right? I mm. hope they're going to announce, right? And it's going to be reflected in the actions of every 
minister, government department, GLC, GLIC. More so this government, because if you reflect, there was a manifesto in the elections. Of course, the manifestos are moot and not relevant now. Since we've got unity government, you have to actually reconsult the different manifestos of this coalition and then actually come up with a proposed plan and reflect it in the KPIs. Apparently, Budget 2024 will be the test of this because it's supposed to reflect the manifestos of all the uh, parties involved in this unity government. Oh, not 23 then. Oh, sorry, 2023. Oh, I do apologize. So what's how are they going to do that? That's really going to be an interesting, mm. I think, test case of this unity government. But let's turn our attention to other news that uh, we might have missed, and that is EPF withdrawal. Now, why do we keep talking about this? Why do we keep coming back to this? So apparently there is... Uh, a plan, or at least some people have suggested, that we allow contributors to dip into their savings again. Yes, I think this is coming through from the opposition because, as we know, there are so many pressures of cost of living that people are struggling and perhaps it's also linked to the whole concern about rising interest rates which will increase your debt payments and such. So people are feeling feeling the strain with that and hence why a lot of pressure to do another withdrawal. But let us put some context. Throughout the pandemic, there were a lot of withdrawals allowed throughout this whole period. For sure, to the point where the EPF fund size dipped below... Uh, one trillion to nine hundred billion only, and in fact, some people say this is the reason why Malaysia is facing inflation because we allow people to take out their money and then they spend it. Yeah, I think all these talks on more EPF withdrawals really comes back to one concept which my father has been trying to teach my kids, his grandkids, is which is delayed gratification, where he has not been very successful as yet. I mean, EPF is really meant for your retirement and not to. And to give you some passive income from the dividends mm. when you're no longer working. But of course, yes. there, there will be some circumstances where you will need to draw on your savings. Yeah, so data from EPF shows that 73% of contributors do not even have enough money in their savings to reach the sum of 240,000 ringgit, which is considered adequate for a poverty level, I repeat, poverty level pension by the time they retire. And a total of 96% are unlikely to have more than 600,000 in their savings to ensure a decent income. Mm. In retirement. Hence, so by allowing more withdrawals, wouldn't it just worsen the situation? That's right. But you know, there was this article that came out in the H uh, today about whether we should use EPF as a collateral for, you know, your loans. It's a bit of a different uh twist rather than a withdrawal. And so that was the debate we were having internally, right? Whether that was that it's not not great, but is that a is that a middle way to sort out the issue? My reservation about this is that, okay, so it's like a, if you think about it, right, it's a form of an overdraft, isn't it? Yeah. So you're using your EPF like a fixed deposit and taking a loan. Now, the question is, what are you doing with that money? What is the purpose of that money? If it's to create or improve your net wealth, I'm a little bit more open about it. I'm, I'm, I think maybe. But if it's really just for consumption again, and I'll go back to Chong Jensen Sr.'s point of view about delayed gratification, then perhaps it shouldn't be allowed. I see. So perhaps things like personal loans should not be allowed then. Yeah, maybe if you needed to buy an, a home. But EPF already does allow you yeah. to withdraw for a home, you see, for example. So what would the purpose be used in terms of it as a collateral for what? Sounds like double leverage to me. Yeah, so there is mm. that danger of that, mm. right? So I think more studies need to be done with regards to you know whether we want to allow this in the first place. But I think when it comes to EPF withdrawals, once again, is it used as a populist measure? You know, people say it because it's a popular move, it's something easy, but it's not great for the long-term, uh, you True. know, financial health of Malaysians. The EPF has a very clear 
uh, purpose. Let's stick to that purpose, is to help Malaysians retire comfortably. And this is another conversation which linking to the global theme that's happening now in France, there were a whole series of strikes over the increase of the retirement age from 62 to 64. Uh, I think Malaysia will also come to roost right and have this conversation about whether we need to increase our retirement age. On the back, that on the story that we heard another story two days ago about China also seeing their population dip. We are all experiencing ageing populations. The productivity of our workforce is going to decline. So this is going to affect our retirement savings as well. For sure. Uh, well, we're going to end with uh, two recommendations in terms of op-eds to read. And they're both actually from Singapore Straits Times. If you want to know more about chat GBT, have a look at this article entitled I Know A Lot But I Have My Limits and Biases. And there's Chinese New Year market rates and giving home power after you marry. Time to update tradition. And time to consider inflation. For all those who are going to give me ang pao's throughout this Chinese New Year period, please remember inflation is biting hard. So in the meantime, from the crew on the morning run, we wish you a happy Chinese New Year and this year of the rabbit. Stay safe, continue feasting and don't forget to give uh, inflation adjusts ang pao's when you're giving it out. Amen. That's all we have <laughs> on the morning run on WTF. Coming up next is the 10am news bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.